We have already been through seven Saturdays in 2022, and this is the eighth. There are 45 left until 2023, but so much more has to happen before we get there. For now, it's perhaps best to take a breath, take a look at the horizon, and figure out ways to make whatever time we have count. Charlottesville community engagement appears to be obsessed with counting, and determined to make sense of as many of the variables as possible. I'm your host, Sean Tubbs. On today's program, Governor Yunkin wants to return $4.5 billion to Virginia taxpayers. The Omicron chapter of the COVID-19 pandemic continues to wane as temperatures warm and the days get longer. If you want to report some crimes to Charlottesville police, you'll have to do it online. Nelson County's administrator is set to retire after 24 years in the position and a quick look at the General Assembly. Today's first subscriber-supported public service announcement goes out to Camp Albemarle, which has for 60 years been a wholesome, rural, rustic, and restful site for youth activities, church groups, civic events, and occasional private programs. Located on 14 acres on the banks of the Mormons River near Free Union, Camp Albemarle continues as a legacy of being a civilian conservation corps project that seeks to promote the importance of rural activities. Camp Albemarle seeks support for a plan to winterize the Hamner Lodge, a structure built in 1941 by the CCC and used by every fourth and fifth grade student in Charlottesville and Albemarle for the study of ecology for over 20 years. If this campaign is successful, Camp Albemarle could operate year-round. Consider your support by visiting campalbemarlevaorg slash donate. A new approach to the public health response to the pandemic is now with us in Virginia, as a new administration continues to undo the previous one had taken to take public steps to try to stop the spread of COVID-19. However, the conditions are also changing. On Friday, the waning of the Omicron surge is reflected in the latest snapshot of numbers. The seven-day average for new cases was 2,846 a day on Friday, down from a high of 26,175 on January 8th. As of today, Virginia hospitals report 1,334 COVID patients, down from a high of 3,948 on January 18th. Dr. Kosti Safri, the Director of Hospital Epidemiology at the University of Virginia, said Omicron is the dominant strain at the moment. A majority of people have some level of immunity to it. We can anticipate that we should continue to see this downward trend of cases. Um, and the, the open questions after this are, how long is that immunity? Um, how robust is it? Um, is there a difference in it if you just been infected with Omicron or if you've maybe had Omicron infection and have been vaccinated. And then finally, what um, other variants may, you know, rear their heads. Another question is if there will need to be a booster for Omicron. A lot of that depends on how long immunity will last. And that's going to be um, not clear. And there may be some differences depending on different populations. If you have risk factors for severe infection, maybe that's going to be different than if you don't have those risk factors. On March 1st, new legislation will go into effect in Virginia that will allow parents of public school students to opt out of mask mandates. Dr. Sifri said as Omicron continues to wane, there are multiple mitigation measures such as vaccination. 
you know, I think it really is um, important to remember that the virus um, has humbled us uh, along the way. But we also understand that two years into this pandemic, that um, there is probably a right sizing of uh, that, that uh, um, you know, needs to occur um, to, to, as we, you know, combat the, the, the challenges of this virus. Dr. Sifri acknowledged that vaccination is still not available for people under the age of five and the immunocompromised are also still more at risk. On Wednesday, the Virginia Safety and Health Codes Board voted 7-3 to to rescind workplace safety rules adopted in July 2020 to protect employees. That's according to a report from Bloomberg Law. Governor Yunkin issued an executive order on January 15th directing the board to study the rules with an eye toward removing them. Read through the agenda to get a deeper sense of what was discussed, and I'll have some from the minutes at a later installment of this program. The death toll from the Omicron surge has been slowly increasing. Fatalities from COVID often take some time to be fully recorded. On Friday, the Virginia Department of Health reports there have been 18,016 COVID deaths in Virginia over the past 23 months. On January 18th, that number was at 15,822. In the Blue Ridge Health District, the death toll stands at 386 for its six localities. When the second anniversary of the pandemic arrives, I'll still be counting out the numbers. Governor Glenn Youngkin has sent a letter to the chairs of the General Assembly's money committees that signals another different approach to government. In a letter to Delegate Barry Knight and Senator Janet Howell, Youngkin said that the revised revenue forecasts estimate that the Commonwealth will collect another $1.25 billion in the current fiscal year. Knight is the chair of the House Appropriations Committee, and Howell chairs the Senate Finance and Appropriations Committee. Youngkin said that that is on top of the $3.3 billion that was added to the state's revenue forecast in December under former Governor Ralph Northam. An agreement on the budget is needed by March 12th, and Youngkin wants the General Assembly to return $4.5 billion to taxpayers. In the letter, Youngkin wrote that it is a stunning amount of money that is being collected from taxpayers, and he said it's the result of overtaxation. In all, the economic forecast states that there is around $13.4 billion in unanticipated revenue, and Youngkin said that would still allow $9 billion to invest in schools, teachers, law enforcement, behavioral health, and other priorities. Youngkin's letter also casts doubt on the actual health of the economy and states that these revenue increases should not be seen in a positive light. He made several claims to back this point, and they include a statement that Virginia has seen a net migration of 100,000 people over the past eight years, and he cited data from the U.S. Census Bureau's state-to-state migration flows. He also states that Virginia has lost $74,000 over the past five years, citing data from the Bureau of Economic Analysis, but no specific source. There's also a quote that Virginia is 42nd in the country when it comes to the recovery, but that claim also does not link to a specific source. There's another statement that says we have a labor shortage due to a lack of population growth and too many people sitting on the sideline while there are 300,000 job openings, nearly 100,000 more than when we enter the pandemic. That cites the November 2021 Virginia Job Openings and Labor Turnover Report produced by the Virginia Employment Commission. 
And finally, there's a statement that Virginia is 30th in the cost of living overall. That traces back to the 2021 Missouri Economic Research and Information Center's Cost of Living Data Series. There's a link to some of those in the newsletter. There are a lot of statistics that can be used to describe the economy and the people who live there. Virginia had a 2.9% increase in gross domestic product between the second and third quarter of 2021, according to the Bureau of Economic Analysis. The nationwide average was 2.3%, and Virginia outperformed North Carolina, Kentucky, and South Carolina. Nelson County is now looking for people to run two of its top positions. The county is already looking for a new school superintendent, but there's now also a vacancy at the top of the general government. County Administrator Stephen Carter will retire on July 31st after 24 years in the position. During that time, two elementary schools and a middle school were built, and the high school on US-29 was renovated. According to a press release, other achievements include construction of the Piney River Water and Sewer Project, construction of the Blue Ridge Railway Trail, the establishment of the Universal Broadband Commitment, and accompanying involvement in the Regional Internet Service Expansion Project. In addition, since 1998, the county has begun paying for some emergency rescue personnel to supplement volunteers. A business park was established in Colleen, and Nelson became the first rural tourism program in the Commonwealth to be accredited by the Virginia Tourism Corporation. Staffing shortages in the Charlottesville Police Department have led to a decision to change responses to some service calls. According to a release sent out yesterday, people will need to fill out an online form for several non-emergency requests, including annoying phone calls, littering, lost property, suspicious activity, and vandalism. Some forms of larceny and fraud will also need to be reported online rather than a phone call. Here's a section from the release. Officers will continue to respond to emergency calls and crimes in progress. As it relates specifically to past larcenies, officers will still respond in person to larcenies of firearms and vehicles. The release also states that the department is down 24% in personnel. Shift supervisors are making every effort to manage the resources available and prioritize calls for service based on the severity of the incident and impact on the community. Meanwhile, officers in the department do continue to make arrests. A review of open data in the past week shows arrests for violation of an emergency protective order, a domestic assault, credit card larceny, burglary, contempt of court, and a fourth incident of someone driving while intoxicated. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement and in today's second subscriber-fueled shout-out. If you're interested in learning more about the birds around us, the National Sporting Library and Museum has a virtual event for you coming up on February 24th. Jennifer Ackerman is the author of The Genius of Birds, and she will explore the brilliance of birds and delve into the mysteries of the avian brain. Ackerman will share her global adventures into the genius of birds. You can learn how birds make and use tools, teach each other skills, count, navigate, create art, perform astonishing feats of memory, communicate, and even pass along cultural traditions. 
The author will be joined by two top officials from the Wildlife Center of Virginia, an organization that has helped nearly 90,000 wild animals from every corner of Virginia. Center President Ed Scott and Senior Vice President Amanda Nicholson will bring along ambassador animals. The program is free and available via Zoom or Facebook. Drop a line to info at nationalsporting.org for a link or visit the National Sporting Library and Museum on Facebook. There are links in the newsletter. One more segment to go, and it's another roundup of what's happening in the General Assembly. Since my last quick check-in, several more bills that passed the House of Delegates have now passed the Senate, and Governor Youngkin has signed one additional piece of legislation. Bills that will go to Youngkin's desk include... HB 165 would allow the issuance of over $100 million in bonds for revenue-producing capital projects at Virginia Tech and James Madison University. Localities would be able to convey real estate from individuals and entities with outstanding debts and liens to a land bank under HB 298. Currently, that land must go to a public auction. And HB 971 would bring Virginia's taxation system into conformity with the Internal Revenue Service. Governor Youngkin has signed a bill that expands eligibility for a program that helps subsidize producers of dairy products. Several bills have passed the House of Delegates and await action in the Senate. A bill preventing public school teachers from teaching divisive concepts passed the House on a 50-49 to 49 vote. It will now go before the Senate Committee on Education and Health. A bill that would prohibit drop-off boxes for absentee ballots passed the House on a 52-47 to 47 vote and will now go before the Senate Privileges and Elections Committee. A bill to reduce the window for voting absentee in person passed the House on a 52-48 to 48 vote and is also before the Senate Committee on Privileges and Elections. A bill to get a patient's written consent before an abortion passed the House 52-48 to 48 and is before the Senate Committee on Education and Health. A bill to allow religious exemptions to vaccination mandates passed 52-45. to 45. A bill to exempt religious institutions from state declarations of emergency passed 51-46 to 46, and will go before the Senate General Laws and Technology Committee. A bill to alter the rules for collective bargaining for public employees passed 53-47. to 47. A bill to allow public colleges and universities to create lab schools passed 52-48. to 48. A bill to exempt businesses under 10 employees from Virginia's minimum wage requirements passed 54-46 to 46 and will go to the Senate Commerce and Labor Committee. A bill that would prohibit public schools from denying participation in extracurricular activities due to non-payment of school meals passed 75-25. to 25. A bill to exempt food for human consumption and personal hygiene from sales tax passed the House on an 80-20 to 20 vote. That now goes to the Senate Finance and Appropriations Committee. And finally today, a bill that would create a program to educate hotel operators and hotel staff on anti-human trafficking measures passed unanimously. I'll have some of the bills from the Senate in the next edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement. But that is it for this installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement, probably one of the most soundbite-free ones I have done in quite some time. 
I hope to rectify that and change that by the Monday edition. There will be an edition coming out on Monday, February 21st, as well as the week ahead. Those two are being produced and are cooking as we speak. I am Sean Tubbs, the host of this program. I want to thank everybody who has subscribed. I want to thank everybody who has listened to this point. I do encourage you to encourage others to listen to the podcast. It's a little slightly different from the other thing. And usually, except for this episode, you get to hear people in their own voice, which I find is very important. Uh, It's very important to me to do something that is both written and sound. Uh, I would do video, but of course, uh, I I've never done video and you don't really want me to do video. You can follow me on Instagram where sometimes I do some fun promotional stuff, but it's not ready for prime time yet. But I am, of course, 19 months into this experiment and there are people who are funding it. You can join them by going to infocivil.com and clicking on the support the info button. There are also other ways that you can help out. You can drop me a line if you uh, would like to help out on the show. Um, there might be some ways. Uh, well, there's some things I need, but but you just, just drop me a line. I don't want to talk about it now. But if you can, one of those things, of course, is to subscribe through Substack. If you do that, the internet company Ting will match your initial payment, which is fantastic because it's another source of revenue that helps me begin to plan out what's happening uh, as I continue to do this. I'm really glad to be able to do this and uh, really am humbled. Thank you very much. I am Sean Tubbs. Uh, It is the weekend, so I'm going to move on. I'm not going to tell you to do anything today except just thanks. Thank you very much. Seriously, from the bottom of my heart. Thank you very much for everything. And uh, we'll see you next time. And the time after that, 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 the time after that. The time after that, the time after that, though, I'm going to skip.